This is Power Players with Dan Clark. This is a podcast interview with best-selling author Sharon Lecter. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark, former athlete, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times best-selling author, and high-performance coach, where each week I bring you an inspiring message from an extraordinary human being who will share their secrets on how you can tap into your personal power to become everything you were born to be. Thanks for spending some time with me today. In this episode, Sharon Lecter, co-author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and Think and Grow Rich for Women, and a dear friend and colleague of mine, shares her story, her life story that kindled her passion to teach the world about financial literacy, giving us an inside glimpse on what it really takes to create personal wealth and professional influence. Welcome to my program, my dear, dear friend, Sharon. How are you? I am fantastic, Dan. I'm so delighted to be with you, and thank you. I I really shouldn't say anything. You did such a great job introducing me. I should just stop while I'm ahead. You're so funny. (laughs) As being one of the busiest persons uh, on the planet as far as interview schedules during this pandemic, it's an honor to have you fit us into your schedule. So let's just get right, right to the questions, my friend. As I've often reminded you, uh, men can be role models to men. Women can be role models to both men and women because you can get men to do things that other men can't do. One of the things that's so powerful about you is your grasp on what people really need to know, not what they think they need to know, but what they really need to know about the economy, about finances, about social interaction, about love, about parenting, about crisis management, about resiliency. You're an expert in all of those, and we only have a few limited moments. So please take us back to when you first discovered your passion about teaching us about financial literacy and how that passion grew into teaming up with the Rich Dad, Poor Dad experience. Well, thanks, Dan. I'm going to try and give you the Cliff Notes version because I really, I grew up in a very entrepreneurial house. We lived in a very small house between my mother's beauty shop and my dad's used car lot. We had rental properties. I had to scrub out between tenants and we had orange groves. So it was just, that was my life. Now, I hated it. I swore I'd never be an entrepreneur. I wanted to go to school, become a sophisticated professional which is what I did. That's how I got my accounting degree. And I was one of the very first women hired in public accounting. I was a young single woman in Atlanta, Georgia, living the dream. And about the ripe old age of 25, um, I realized if I'm going to work this hard, I should probably be working for myself. And all of a sudden, my parents looked a whole lot smarter. And so at 25, I left public accounting and started on my entrepreneurial journey. And I really never looked back. Now, I did a woman's magazine, I teamed up with the inventor of the very first talking children's book, and we took that to a global brand. And then we sold that and moved to Arizona, and our oldest son went off to college and got into credit card debt. I was furious, but I was more furious with myself. I thought I had taught him. I taught him what my parents taught me about money. But when he got to school, they had these welcome tables. Um, Here's some pizza and free money credit cards, free t-shirt, free money. And he had a really good time his first semester of college. And we came home at Christmas saying, I'm in debt. We were like blown away. And that was December of 1992. And that's really what gave birth 
to the rest of my professional career. I dedicated the rest of my career to financial education, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship education to support people becoming a master of their money instead of a slave. I didn't realize people didn't have the same foundational education and experience that I had. And it appalled me at how few people really took control of their own financial life. So instead of a master of money, they were a slave to their money and to debt. Debt yes, became no. easier, more people got into it, and that just has fueled my passion, and I'm as passionate about it today as I was back then. And that was in 1991. I started working with the school districts, and then in 96, I got a phone call from my husband who's a very well-known intellectual property attorney. And he says, I met this guy today that has what you've been looking for. I always challenge women, what would you do if your husband called you and said, I met this guy today that has what you've been looking for. I still remember where I was on the street with the old giant cell phones. And I'm going, okay, honey, tell me more. And um, he had a client, a guy walk in in Bermuda shorts and a Hawaiian shirt with an idea for a board game rolled up on a piece of paper, and it was Robert Kiyosaki. So I met him at the very first beta test of the idea, and his um, concept of teaching the same thing of what I was teaching, which was the importance of mind building creating assets. And that day, looking at this thing drawn on a piece of paper, um, gave birth to the whole Rich Dad Empire. I told him I would help him commercialize it because I had the contacts and the experience from a talking book company. And then in the process, I said, we, he told me he wanted to charge $200 for this game. I said, well, maybe you should write a brochure kind of giving the philosophy. $200 for a board game is expensive today, but it was outrageous in 1997. And so we wrote that brochure and that brochure was called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that was a kickoff. Most people don't understand that, but it was written as a marketing brochure. Interesting. And no, it was going to explode. And that, you just taught me something about you and, and maybe your holistic philosophy of living life in a significant way in a completely different manner. You know, the two major causes, family counselors, marriage counselors, they tell us the two major causes of divorce and, and interrelation challenges and problems are infidelity and finance. And so now you go to a board game to invite the spouses, the significant others, the family members to learn about financial literacy. I've never thought of it in those terms. And that's why now I know why you're an expert also in personal relationships, because you're, you're passionate about dealing with one of the two major stumbling blocks and, and knives that cut through our relationships. So talk a little teeny bit about how, how we and our families need to talk about financial literacy to make sure everybody understands it's not just the single breadwinner in the family. It's not just a male-dominated conversation or a woman-female-dominated conversation. Everybody needs to understand now. I get it, so please teach us. Well, absolutely. I mean, you've heard the phrase, the rich get rich or the poor get poor. Well, that's because we're not teaching it in school. And if we truly wanted to level the playing field for every child to have equal opportunity, we'd be teaching them about money and entrepreneurship in school, but we're not. Now, I do think I have a pretty strong relationship. We're celebrating 40 years of marriage this year. My husband's parents are celebrating, just celebrated 72 years of marriage. So it is, you know, 
you have to be on, 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 not necessarily always on the same page, but at least reading from the same script and knowing that you have a common goal in mind. And with your kids, people always ask me, I don't want to teach my kids about money. I don't want them to get greedy. And I go, at what age do you think a child knows the difference between a $1 bill and a $20 bill? Which, what age, Dan, tell me, between a one and a 20? Probably two years of age. <laughs> Three or four, definitely. They know which bill they want. They already understand the buying power. What they need to understand is the earning power, what it takes to get there. And so just talking to your kids about the world around them. When you're sitting in a fast food restaurant, you say, you know, the owner's not here because he has all these people working it for him or her. And there's one company that makes the packaging, the hamburgers in. There's another company that makes the straws. Just starting to talk to them about the finance, you know, the, the world around us from the standpoint of money. And kids are eager to learn. They ask those questions. And instead of saying so much of it is also languaging, Dan, and I know you agree with me. So many of us, we learn about money from fear. We grow up, we hearing money doesn't grow on trees, pinch your penny, save for a rainy day. Okay, for the baby boomers, who do you think we are? The Rockefellers, they don't say that much more anymore. But you know, we hear those things growing up and it's money negative, money negative, money negative. No wonder we developed this mindset of scarcity. We're afraid we're never going to have enough money. And then we get money, we're afraid we're going to lose it. And that fear is what holds us back, that mindset. And once you can recognize it, you can start releasing it. So coming back to relationships, I always tell people that are together, you know, go out on a money date and start talking about your parents' philosophy about money. Because you'll usually start laughing because you'll see the differences between how you were raised and it helps you bridge that gap and determine how you're going to move forward and in, in, in basically this, in setting the same goals so that you can achieve them. But also, we can't afford it is a negative statement that closes your mind. And if you're saying that to your children, you're passing it on to the next generation. So instead of saying we can't afford it, you can feel it. You just want to crawl in a hole and you know, turn the lights off. Say, how can I afford it? Because that opens your mind to the possibilities. It triggers your creativity. It triggers your entrepreneurial spirit. And you want to figure out how. And your kids, my goodness, wait till you see the ideas they come up with on how to afford the things that they want out of life. And that's how they build their self-confidence. Set a goal, achieve it, and celebrate. And you'll see their self-confidence grow right in front of you. So what during during the downtime, <clears throat> the so-called pandemic, the pause and purge, as I call it, what can all of us start doing to prepare ourselves for when we finally come out of this economic downturn? What do we, you know, people can download this 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 podcast 70 years from now when, you know, we've taken our last breath and you've left this amazing legacy. But again, power players focusing on the on the philosophies, on the on the principles that never change. What do you project? What what would you understand in your experience that will allow us to prepare ourselves to respond to rapid change, no matter how many times it happens again in the future? Well, whether it's this pandemic or whether it's a death or a divorce or an illness, we all have things that stop us in our tracks. 
And the question is, are we going to stay stopped? Are we going to use that time to retool, redefine, and refire, adapt to the new areas? And successful businesses do one of two things, solve a problem or serve a need. I think we have a few of those. And so if you go after that, you can create a, a really successful business. But in the midst of it, it's important to figure out where you are. And if you are earning money as an exchange of your time, then you've been hurt a lot worse than people that have income producing assets. So now's the time to say, how can I start creating, buying, or building income producing assets? Because those of us that have those economic engines working for us means we have not spent our time for money. We've invested our time in buying, building, creating income producing assets. That's different. That's how you create generational wealth. Investing your time to build an asset. Don't just exchange time for money. Hey, give us one example of an asset that we can, I think the obvious is real estate and you understand that so well, but let me put you on the spot. What's another asset that you think is, is wealth building where we get that passive income check coming in, coming in while we're sleeping. And as you said, when we go into a fast food restaurant and realize the owner is out boating while everybody else is paying his bills. Well, the number one, fastest way is right here, intellectual property, All right? You know something, you're going to share it. You're going to write a book. Okay, that book is going to be able to live beyond you, is going to be out there working, people can access it, creating programs, um, thinking of something, a, a, new, a, a new app for somebody. That's intellectual property. That's how you can create wealth very quickly, and it's never been easier because of the internet and be, being able to go virtual and online. But the question is, what problem are you solving or what need are you serving? That's what's gonna make it not just successful, but sustainable and scalable. So you have intellectual property, you have other businesses. And right now during this pandemic, you may not have time to build your own self-sustaining business, but there are people out there that you support their products and their services. Many of them have affiliate programs. You can make a lot of money sitting at your computer talking about other people's products through their affiliate programs. That's a way to start cranking up your cash flow. And that cash flow can then help you design and build your own business. So yes, real estate, other businesses, intellectual property, and of course, stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, paper assets. Yes, ma'am. Okay, let's shift gears into the last uh, segment where we've, we've talked about your passion that just comes out. We've talked about your your preparation and you've given us this amazing advice on how to prepare ourselves for the next rapid change so that we're not blindsided. But I'm still curious and I know everybody is curious about why you're still doing this after all these years. Why didn't you hang up your cleats? What drives you? Why are you pursuing this passion after you've accomplished so much and obviously have a few shillings in the bank? Well, I appreciate the question. Um, because it really, I asked myself that quite a while ago, um, seven and a half years ago, Dan, I think you may know that I lost my youngest son yeah. and we're not supposed to outlive our kids. And it really threw me into neutral, into numb. I was always playing a bigger game with Disney, Warner Brothers. And then all of a sudden I wasn't, I was playing small. I was still writing, I was still you know, speaking, but I didn't have the same burning passion. 
And I, about four years, three and a half years ago, I thought, you know, I should just retire um, because I, I'm not working because I need to, I'm working because I want to. And I said, you know, I just, I, I need to just take a step back. I got a lot of pushback from family and friends. And I think I actually heard my son whispering in my ear, get over it, mom, there's more for you to do. And then I realized that a lot of people have things that stop them in their tracks. And hanging back and trying to retire didn't work for me. I was going crazy. And so I made the decision to refire and I launched the Play Big Movement, which is a private Facebook group. Anybody can join us, but the Play Big Movement because I decided to play bigger again. And once I made that decision, so much of it is your mindset. When I made that decision, all kinds of things started coming my way. And I wanted to share it with other people so that they could play big alongside me. And I, you know, I did the, your, your, um, you can go to personalsuccessequation.com. I wanted people to look at their own success and how they could play a bigger game. And it was amazing because I had to teach myself a new mindset because I had gone into the world of numb. And today, so many people are there because of what they're suffering. But it may not have been just the last few months. You might have had a death in the family, a divorce, a financial setback, an illness. And you know what? You're still here. You're still here for a reason. There are people out there who can benefit from what you know. There are people out there who can benefit from how you survived. And that's, I, for several years, when I decided to play big again, I got back into it. I didn't really talk about my son. And then, I don't know why, but one day, I think somebody was asking me a question, asking me for my biggest um, obstacle. And I immediately went to the world of business and none of them felt so big anymore because I realized uh, nothing, nothing impacts you anymore when you lose a child. And so I, on that spot, said, you know, I need to share this. And once I started sharing what I went through and um, it was amazing the feedback that I got and the lives that were opened and people who felt comfortable taking that next step. And so everybody watching and listening to this, you're still here for a reason. There are people out there that can benefit from what you've been through. They can benefit from how you've overcome your obstacles. And it's so important now. I tell people, say, you know, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I go, stop it. Because you're waiting for somebody else to bring you light. Become your own beacon of light. I love it. And in your own light. And as you become a beacon of light, others will come to you and they'll share their light. And you truly can make a difference. But don't wait for the light at the end of the tunnel. So as we <clears throat> wind down our time, I, uh, I was really moved <clears throat> many years ago by Professor Randy Pausch, you know, being a a professor for the last 10 years teaching, you know, public speaking, advanced public speaking at the MBA level in several universities. As my final examination, I've always, <clears throat> excuse me, had my last lecture and to, to hear and feel the depth of answers coming from 18 to 24 year olds. And because I teach at night, I also have some non-traditional students who are coming back to get their MBA. So we have, you know, folks in their forties and fifties and my last lecture is always, you've got four minutes. What would you drive one? What would you drive five hours one way to say to somebody for free? And if you had one hour to live, what's your last lecture? What's your final message to the world? 
So you could you could talk about financial literacy, but you already admitted that that your greatest obstacle was not business related. So I I you're an iconic philosopher, my friend. You're not just a financial wizard. Teach us and take more than just one minute. We got a couple of minutes for you to to really uh, explain what your when someone says what what was Sharon Lecter about. Here's your chance, my dear. I want I want to hear it. This could be one of the greatest things that I will now take intellectual property for and sell online for you know a couple million bucks. You know the wisdom of the Oracle Sage. Here we go. <laughs> well, when I was growing up, my dad would ask me each night, Sharon, have you added value to someone's world today? And he's been gone for 14 years, and I still ask myself that every single night. And it's not about success isn't about uh, dollars in the bank. It's about how you feel about yourself when you look in the mirror. It has nothing to do with your reflection. And then, you know, probably 10 years ago, I was in um, speaking and actually it was longer than that because it was 9-11. And I was in Shanghai speaking. And, of course, it was all I had a translator. And the young man stood up to ask me a question and the room, I mean, he was probably in his early 20s, and the room started booing him. And my translator, oh, you don't need to answer the question. And I'm go, got real curious, going, my goodness, what's he asking me? Here's this Western woman with white hair, um, and he's asking this question. And I said, it's all right, well, tell me what the question is first. And the young man had stood up and said, um, what do you think the meaning of life is? And of course, the room felt that that was very rude. And I said, no, I'll answer the question. And what I shared with him was, you know, my, the meaning of life for me is that when I'm gone, that people will feel that their life was better for having known me. And it ties right back into the message from my dad. Have, have you added value to someone's life today? So you make every day a revenue day and revenue to you is, uh, is give, give, give way before you ask or take. And every time we've been on the program together, you know, I've acknowledged you to the to the group, to the room. But like I said at the very beginning, it's been very intriguing for me to sit in the back and watch the reaction to your introduction. And then this this uh, larger than life being comes out on stage and then you just basically mold and mesmerize the audience in your own unique way. I love you. I honor you. <clears throat> How can we join your tribe? How can we get more of Sharon Lecter? Tell us about your, your connection and your books just for a second, please. Well, SharonLecter.com, and then I'm Sharon Lecter on everything, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Um, my professional page is author Sharon Lecter on Facebook. If you go to PersonalSuccessEquation.com, you can get the download that talks you through your passion and your talent, your power of association, taking the right action, and above all, having faith in yourself. And it really helps you dig, or dig deeper into your own psyche to figure out what you might need to do to step out of your comfort zone to take that next step. And then, as I mentioned, my private Facebook group, the Play Big Movement with Sharon Lecter, I'd welcome everybody to join all of them and follow me and help us spread the word that we're all in this together. Let's work together, play bigger together. If you're gonna work, play big. And playing big means being number one in your field, living your legacy, which is with every heart you, you touch every day, just like your Dan, even though you're a big man, your impact and legacy is huge. And create a maximum impact. Be one in the field, live your legacy and create maximum impact. 
and that, my dear friend, is what you're doing. I love you. Let me uh, quickly refer to the way I conclude every one of these podcasts. Because it's power players, Sharon, we need to all remember that when you finally decide to be a power player, which is what you've been talking about for the last 25 to 30 minutes, your power play, ladies and gentlemen, begins in you. So until next time, quantify your takeaway and go make a power play as our dear friend and legendary oracle Sharon Lecter has explained to us. Again, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you and uh, I can't wait to connect offline and uh, just not only share the program with you, but break bread in, a, in an intimate social setting because you inspire me so much and I love you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Dan. I love you back and can't wait to be able to give you a real hug even in today's world. Thanks. You have a great day. The views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.